my experience is that the less experienced entrepreneurs who have not had the privilege of being burnt by their mistakes tend to make very, very common mistakes, which is that they will put out an advert, use a recruitment agency if necessary, or use their network to find potential CVs. They'll read through those CVs, see something they like, see something that they can afford, set up a call or an interview with that individual, ask relatively ad hoc questions, will generally not test for competence or experience, but more around cultural fit, which is important, but do I like this person? Are they saying nice things? If the answer is yes, then I employ them. When can you start? I can start tomorrow. Do they provide them with an employment contract? Well, very, very few in my experience even do that. But what I want to talk about today is the macro process, the overall thinking about how you design a process in a way that increases their likelihood of success, increases the return on investment for you, the entrepreneur, and reduces the likelihood of them leaving soon. I'm Gareth Armstrong, and you're listening to a Razor's Edge podcast. That's the voice of Alon Reyes, CEO of Corp, and our guide during this hiring series. Alon's successes and failures have taught him lessons about hiring that he shares with the goal to help us grow as quickly and effectively as possible while avoiding expensive, possibly business-sinking employment mistakes. Alon has just described a recruitment process that many of us might have set out if we had been pressed to describe our own approach to hiring. His feelings toward this process are that it is underdeveloped and will result in employees failing to deliver, becoming frustrated and potentially leaving. All of which ultimately results in hiring being a very expensive undertaking. How do we counter this? During this episode, we'll be looking at the cost of not developing a thoroughly thought through employment process, how to get our new hire firing on all cylinders as quickly as possible, what amount of effort should be put into training up front, and how to ensure we minimize the damage and cost when we get it wrong. Let's begin with Alon reflecting on his journey with RaceCorp. And some people criticize how long and how laborious and intense this process is that I'm describing, but it's something that I completely, completely believe in. Just to give you an example in RaceCorp, one in 104 applications to become a guide, a mentor in RaceCorp is successful. One in 104. That is a huge amount of effort, time, money involved in choosing the right individuals. But if you look at our process over the last probably 10, 15 years as it's improved based on all the mistakes that we've made, first of all, our churn, our turnover staff has reduced immensely over those 10 years. Secondly, the ability for those employees within the organization to actually grow with the organization has increased exponentially. What I mean by that is that in 10 years ago, when somebody came in for a role, they literally left in that role. Today, the type of people we are bringing in are far more adaptable to other roles, i.e. sideways roles, which gives us far more flexibility and to grow. In other words, go into management roles and build themselves within the organization. They've got a lot more growth prospects within the business. 
And that's because we chose them correctly. I don't know about you, but having adaptable employees that are open to learning and development and, as a result, have the potential to become managers and leaders sounds like smart business to me. In previous episodes of this series, we've touched on how internal costs have the potential to sink our businesses. In addition to those insights, let's now also explore the costs associated with a poorly considered employment process. So let's take the two examples that I just gave you. If you have a high turnover and there is a recruitment cost in terms of real cost, if I'm using a recruitment agency which can charge anywhere between 10 and 25% of the annual salary, depending on the seniority of the individual you are employing, that's a lot of money that you have to keep spending on replacing somebody who keeps leaving. So there's the one very tangible benefit is you don't have to repeatedly pay for recruitment fees. Second is all the cost of time that's involved in recruiting again and again. Thirdly, is the emotional strain of losing people. If you've got an organization that keeps losing people all the time, it has a high impact on the morale of that department of the organization. And in a small organization, it has even bigger consequences for morale. So there's an emotional cost to high turnover. And lastly is the cost to then train that individual, get that person acculturated, acclimatized to working in your organization, which is an additional cost once they're in. And then you still have the risk that that person is the wrong person. If you find the right individuals, individuals that have the ability to grow, then not only are you saving the replacement cost, but you also are saving in terms of the movement cost. In other words, if you can bring an individual in and they then move to the the rung above their current rung on the job ladder, then you don't have the cost, the additional cost of finding the individual moves into that new, let's call it management role or higher role that they're in right now. You don't have that cost. So you're saving on that cost again. And not only that, It's also the fact that this individual who comes into that role already understands the organization. So you're saving a huge amount of time for that person to come get up to speed and become effective. So getting the right people from an economic point of view and from an emotional point of view, a morale point of view, every point of view, in my opinion, is worth all the effort to get it right. We then explored how long we should expect our new hires to take to get up to speed. When can we begin to see a return on our investment? I don't think there's an answer to that question. I'll sound like a politician in that I'll say it depends. It depends on the complexity of the business, complexity of the role, and um, the age of, of that business and how much innate knowledge there is within the business. A business that has been around for a long time and there's lots of information in the walls, in the culture, there's a quicker acclimatization to to the business and knowledge transfer because there's just so many people who know how things work. When a business is small and it's trying to find itself and it's growing and there's lots of new things, it takes a lot longer because you're not just trying to work out what was, you're trying to work out what will be as well. And so an individual coming into an organization that's in high growth has to deal with both sides of that coin. So there's no real answer to that question. I was like a dog with a bone. Surely there needs to be a number associated with this question. 
upon being pressed, Alon shared his experience with Racecorp, and the insights that follow here are definitely worth noting. I know you're pushing me to give you an answer how long, but I've been doing this now for over 20 years. We used to have an 18-month view before they totally knew what was going on. They were effective to some extent, so my return on investment was already happening perhaps two, three months into their tenure. But when they were truly effective, at 100% effective, where they got it, they understood exactly how this organization worked. There was no, let's call it leakage in their efficiency due to lack of knowledge or understanding. It took 18 months. Right now, we require somebody to be completely up to speed, understand their role within 90 days. The only way we've been able to achieve that is through selecting the right individuals, and through the training that we provide. We have two types of training within RaceCorp. We use this flow code methodology, which we've built over the last 10 years. And flow code has got an enlightened portion to training and an enrich. Enlighten means you didn't know I enlighten you, I'll show you how. Enriches, you know, I'm just enriching you, I'm giving you a bit more. So the enrich is the CPD, the Continuous Professional Development. It's about getting somebody from a, a junior, insert name of role, to a senior, insert name of role. It's how do you move them, what information do they require, what experience do they require in order to go from junior to senior or to move from one level within the organization to the next. That's the enrich part. The enlighten is how do you do your role? And enlighten is broken down into three areas. One is enlighten you about the company. The second is enlighten you about the department, how the department works. So how does the company work? How does the department work? And the third part is how does the role work? And what is required in your role? So that whole company department role we require the individual coming into RaceCorp now within 90 days to go through all the training required to do their role properly within 90 days. And then we provide them with an assessment. If they fail that, we provide them with a second assessment. So they know that this is not, uh, I just sit in class and nod my head and then think about what I'm having for lunch, that they will be assessed on, on this. There are training manuals, there's training slides, there's engagement, there's shadowing, there's being shadowed, there's this very comprehensive 90 days to get them up to speed. And what we found, just interesting as I speak here right now, this morning I had a resignation within one month of employing somebody. So in one lens, I failed. I didn't bring in the right person. We took them through the whole process and we were very careful in bringing this individual in. And quite frankly, he was very, very effective in the short time he was at Rayscorp. He was here for just under a month, three weeks, and he was fantastic. And he resigned within three weeks. And going to his line manager and asking, should I try and encourage this individual to stay? Her response was, no. The intensity, the complexity of the role, and the intensity of the training that he was experiencing, obviously shed light to him that this might not be a place for him. So that's a fail early that happened, which is one of the things we also look at is what's the fail early metric. 
when you select somebody? When do you know you've got it wrong? But by the same token, if somebody leaves early, when they just join you and leave, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Enlighten and enrich. Those two words carry so much weight and meaning in the context of this podcast and the broader hiring conversation. And they clearly were connected with a breakthrough moment for Elon and his business. As we consider enlighten and enrich in the context of our own businesses, which will include our current employees and future employees, it's really exciting to think of the positive impact this will have on both them and our bottom line. In the remainder of this podcast, let's do two things. First, explore what we can do when we get recruitment wrong, or in other words, when our process is still evolving. And number two, consider an interesting approach to developing our hiring process, including questions we can ask ourselves to get our thinking right. But first, let's look at when we get recruiting wrong. This is the one part of entrepreneurship where I think bureaucracy is important. Every time, Every time we have broken the process of recruitment, we have had it come to bite us back in the backside. Every time. We feel a sense of urgency. We have got a role to fill. We've got demand around something. And so we take the first person who comes in to plug that hole. We have learned over the years that that is not the way, rather slower and follow the process to the letter of the T produces a far better result. The way that we mitigate against that is through the concept of X, this cross-functionality. So within the RaceCorps strategy, within FlowCode strategy, it requires you to have an X for each role. So if that individual leaves, there is one or more individuals that can pick up that individual's role can take on the X. So as an example, this individual who resigned today, their role has got an XI and an XE. XI is an individual that is that person's X. So we know the moment he leaves, we know who can now support that role. It'll be a stretch for them because they're going to do their job and this, but it's not going to be empty. Plus, because this is such a strategic role, we have got an external, XE, external individual or external organization that is waiting in the wings to plug that role, which has been contracted. We've got pricing per month, per hour, whatever the case may be, already in place. And it's a call to them to say, okay, until we have filled this role, you are holding the role. So I would rather have X in place and go through the bureaucracy then just try and fill it because we feel like we are urgent or we are desperate. Desperate creates problems in the future. You're just kicking the can down the road and you're gonna actually deal with a far worse position in the future as a result. We've achieved a, a level of, let's call it sophistication, where we actually can anticipate the churn rate within the organization and to a large extent when and in which roles it will happen. So I certainly, for example, didn't anticipate the resignation that happened this morning. But I do anticipate at certain times of the year that we'll get in a certain part of our business, we'll get resignations where people will go on to different things. So we anticipate that and we have our pipeline filled and we have already 
interviewed individuals right up to, let's call it 90% of the way through our process, that we can then just switch them on. Two weeks ago, we brought in an individual literally in a week because that whole process had happened actually in the prior year. And then we had an anticipated resignation, called the individual up and said, are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. You start next week. Boom. That individual's in our staff meeting on the Monday morning. So we need to get to a point where we're embracing bureaucracy and the red tape found in the hiring process. Of course, only in as far as it yields the benefits Alon has been describing. We must also recognize and anticipate staff churn. In those moments, we need to have a pipeline that is full and ready when we need it. And we need to assess and carefully consider how our businesses can absorb the added pressure of not having a role filled immediately. To end off, Alon has some suggestions to help us think about our recruitment process in the right ways. The three questions that you ask yourself from building a process are, the first question is, where have I made mistakes before in this role? And maybe you're a pure startup and you haven't at all yet. So the answer is I haven't. But certainly if you're a year, two, three, five years into the journey, you've made mistakes. And try and then classify those mistakes authentically. Yeah, I like the individual. I make it a choice because, you know, I like them or he played the same sport as me or was interested in the same football team as me or whatever the case may be. Try to be authentic in terms of how you've made those mistakes. We're in the process. So as an example, if it might have been a cultural problem, he, this individual left for, for cultural reasons, the mistake was I didn't ask him culture questions. So where could I ask the individual culture questions? We're in the process. Or the individual said they could do stuff, but when it came down to actually doing the job, they couldn't do it. And so that's a competency issue. So where did I test for competency? The other thing could have been a situation where the person just was a huge amount of energy to manage. They were hard to manage. Where could I pick that up? And so you try and identify all these different areas where you've made mistakes and then take that back to where in the process can you test for that through questions, through assessments, through, through high-pressure environments, through simulations, whatever you use in order to, to bring in the individual into the organization. And even better is not where, but where plural in the process to double-check that. You've got a positive result there and a positive result there. And so the likelihood is that it's positive. Sometimes you get a false positive because particularly early on in a process, in a selection process of an individual, people put their best foot forward. The second question to ask is, where do I want this role to go? In other words, if I had the ideal candidate and that ideal candidate came in, where would that person ideally evolved to in the business, naturally, if they had the experience under their wings. So that means now you are trying to now test for that ability of that individual to grow. Yes, you're looking at them for this role, but you've already understand that they could grow into the other role. So that means that your investment in this individual has got a longer return because that individual can grow. So once again, if you understand where they 
can go where you want that individual to grow to or that role to grow to naturally, you can test for that also in the process. And the third question to ask around the process is what in this process is actually going to lock out individuals who should be in? So how am I being biased to a certain type of individual who will be locked out of this because of a personality trait or a, a competence requirement that you require. But on the whole, it should just be noted. Are we creating gates instead of notables okay, in our process? And that unfortunately takes a little bit of experience where you gated somebody and you're getting no one coming through. And then for some odd reason, somebody slips through and you realize that that gate shouldn't have been there in the first place. It's almost a lucky find where you realize that you were trying to prevent that type of individual coming in because they didn't have X skill or X experience, but it actually was a false notion in your mind. So you're looking at the fallibility of your process, not from uh, letting anyone in, but who that process is excluding as a result of this rigor that you've put in it. And that sort of opens up the process to be a little bit more balanced, that the individual that comes into the organization, there's enough, it's called a gap through the process to allow the individuals through. It's not too tight. The tube is not too tight to let the wrong type of individuals in. So yeah, I spoke to you earlier about the one in 104 people become a guide. Big debate, do we make that one in 200, do we make that one in 50? We can do that by manipulating the system. We're comfortable at one in 104. We're getting the right results. It's the ROI on that is right. But if we were getting no one in, if it was one in 200, too expensive. One in 50 and everyone was leaving, too expensive. So one in 104, we found to be the right place for us. So you manipulate the, the process you check the both sides of the ROI equation, the cost of the whole process versus the cost of the churn. Here's an essential final word from Elon. I think the last point I want to make here is around the fact that each organization will have a different process. I started off by saying that you know, we've got 30 plus different steps in our flow code process around recruitment. And that's adapted up or down depending on the role. You have to understand that each role has a process. And what organizations do, young organizations, is they have a process that is for everyone. And that is also a mistake. So any entrepreneur listening right now, I would highly recommend that you finesse the recruitment process per role, not for your organization. And that you have a very live relationship with that process to make sure that you keep tweaking it based on all the mistakes that you make, both positive and negative, as we, I expressed just now about a positive mistake where somebody got in and that it was right, fix it to get more of those people in, that's a positive mistake. And then a, a, a negative mistake when somebody gets in and they shouldn't have, then where do you fix the process? And you keep tweaking this process and sophisticating it, and then trusting it. And that's important that you build the process and you keep trusting that process because you know if it was wrong, you will come back to it and you'll tweak it again and again and again. And that becomes a process like anything else that you can hand over to somebody else 
to use in order to bring individuals into the organization. And that process has got a lot of your IP, your DNA in it, and your experience in it. If you have any thoughts or questions you'd like to share related to this episode or hiring in general, please feel free to share these on the Racecorp page on your favorite social media platform. Please use the hashtag avoidinghiringmistakes to help us locate it more easily. Alternatively, you can make contact with us using the options found on racecorp.com. My name is Gareth Armstrong, and I'll see you in the next episode.